Here we go, here we go. It's good to see all of you back. Thank you very much. I know you're busy. Let's pray. Christ our God, who was transfigured upon the mountain and manifested your glory to your disciples as they were able to bear it, shed your everlasting light on us, your servants, that we may behold your glory and enter into your sufferings and proclaim your name to the world. O you who gives light in our darkness, you who are the light of all, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So that was nice. Uh, it felt kind of like old St. John again this morning, right? It's been a long time. So thanks to the musicians and particularly to Pastor Byens. You know, I always, it's amazing, you know, you learn four or five new things every time he preaches, which is really a, a great thing. So I'm just, uh, from the bottom of my heart when he comes to preach, it's just such a joy to have him here. And he's such a good guest and uh, takes such good care of us. So we're grateful to him. And all the musicians and the people, the choirs that came back, it's very, very, very nice. Uh, of course, you know, Transfiguration is the hinge now. Uh, Ash Wednesday comes this week. So uh, come for ashes at normal time at 7. There's not dinner this week, but there will be in the future then. There'll be dinner in today, as you know. Um, we push private confession back a little bit earlier, so we don't pinch. People were coming early and earlier, and that sort of... Uh, you know, people like to have some measure of privacy when they come to private confession. So 5.15, um, Pastor Nelson will be there this week. It's like my, you know, the closest, uh, my uncle Tom Spellacy, who's actually Kirby's uncle, who's a good Irish Catholic boy. Uh, he loved me even though he had all these grandchildren because I was the closest thing he ever had to a priest. And uh, he would say to me, you know, he would tell me about going to confession. He'd say, you know, one priest wouldn't have anybody waiting, but then there'd be a long line next to the other guy. And they said, because he gave lighter penance, right? So uh, Nelson is your light penance guy. If you don't, you know, if you, if you just want the gifts and you don't want too much, you know, falderall, 515. So you know how this works. If you haven't been to confession before, you know, you just sort of, he'll be back waiting for you by the candles and uh, at the back altar, you know, go in sit down and it'll explain itself. As I always say to you, you know, my goal is to leave you smiling, unburdened. And uh, if you see somebody else there, just kind of sitting back by the font and then when they come out, you can go and it just works kind of back and forth. If you haven't been before, don't worry. Uh, no time like the present, you know, we're used to people not going. But it's, uh, I mean, because, you know, in Lutheran confessions, the Catholics said about the Lutherans, hey, you don't go to confession anymore. And they're like, we go to confession more than you do. Well, the Catholics are right now. So, you know what? <laughs> and, and why we, you know, why we're so weird about it is, and of course it is, because it's humiliating to say I'm horrible, uh, you know. So it's, it's humiliating. But it also is, it unburdens you, and it also does act as a mild deterrent toward the next time. So... Uh, you know, there's that great prayer that we pray from this book where it says, let the memory of my sins be um, great enough to persuade me from not doing them again, right? So your sins are forgiven and you want to push them away, except insofar as they help you. So you say, if I drink too much, then I turn out like this, so I won't drink too much. Or if I say this, or I look at that, or I treat somebody like this, that'll make my life go poorly. Because I remember from the last time I did it, that's the way the Lord uses your sins to give you a blessing. It's crazy, right? This is Romans 8, where everything is knit together for the good of those who love God. So anyway, come for ashes, and uh, come for confession if you like, and then come for Tizay as we go through Lent. 
So we can talk a little bit about, uh, today we're going to talk about fasting. I had two complete Bible studies written uh, for today. And then Kirby and I had dinner last night, and I said, you know, hey, should I do the thing on fasting? He's like, oh, not the fasting thing again. So here's the thing. <laughs> I'm, using the, I'm using the Kirby contraindicator, and uh, it's like that Seinfeld where, you know, George made all the decisions opposite what he normally does. Karen Crawford, what's up, my friend? Um, ashes and morning Eucharist, too, right? Yes, morning Eucharist is still there. We would love to see you. And- Oh, ashes at morning Eucharist, sure. Oh, yeah, there's sinners everywhere, Karen. We couldn't let the morning Eucharist people escape. Absolutely. Oh, damn sinners everywhere around this place. Don't, don't let any of the nice things I've said dissuade you from coming for ashes. Come on. You've been around long enough to know that. So, all right, good. So anyway, we should talk a little bit about fasting. Now, it's a, li- it's a bit backwards because... Next week, I'll talk a little bit about the, a little bit more about the Old Testament lesson, uh, some of the Old Testament lessons, but the Old Testament lesson for Ash Friday, Ash Friday, jeez, for Ash Wednesday. Yeah, things are moving a little fast this Lent. Um, because sometimes people think these things are innovation or even kind of optional in sort of a dismissive sense. And, you know, the reality is you should just be just a little bit careful with that. And part of it starts with, you know, what Jesus did. You know, Jesus fasted and Jesus prayed and Jesus gave 10% and Jesus had his ashes, right? And you should think about that and then you should think about people who are smarter than we are. I, especially this Lent as I've, I'm proofed out in the, in the Anapiro so fabulous with the bulletins and you know, she sends them and I'm proofed out through, I think, the third week of Lent now. And I, I'm kind of startled by the gravitas that the people who have written margin comments have. You, you sort of go, you know, how did they get there? Uh, you just can't, you can't quite, quite believe it. You know, you just, people who know so much and have such a vibrancy. It's, uh, well, you know, as I said to you from Madeline Lingle a few, a few weeks ago, believing takes practice. And practice involves your whole body, not just your not just your brain, right? Not just your heart. You're one connected bit. And so it all comes together. And I sort of gave you last week, you know, it's, the church is very clever about this. It orders space and time. And so, you know, prayer orders your day. So you get up in the morning and you say your prayers. You give some order to your day. And the Sabbath, Sunday, orders the week. And I, I will say, especially now, this is, I say this in all honesty for people who are listening at home. We actually need you back um, we, need you to, we need everybody back. We have a few hundred people that we haven't seen yet. There's a range of reasons, uh, many of them legitimate. But um, it's kind of hard to say this, but Sunday's not optional. You know, in an emergency, you can, you can sort of say, well, but uh, life is rough and tumble, and prayer orders your day, the Sabbath orders your week, and we're a community. We'll talk about this in a few weeks, but we're a community and we need to be together. And that was part of the joy of this morning. I mean, that felt like kind of old St. John coming back to life. That was really, that was really, really good. So I'm very happy for that. So prayer orders your day and, and the Sabbath orders your week. And the feasts now order your year. So the color changes. Gold is the highest level color. So that tells you the transfiguration is as big a deal as Christmas and Easter. Right? It's a big deal today that you get a glimpse of Jesus who could, if he stays on the mountain, you go straight to hell because he doesn't come down the mountain to go to the other mountain, Golgotha, as was so carefully said this morning. 
And then a pilgrimage, you know, once in your life, um, go somewhere. I keep telling, you know, somehow, do any of you have like a archbishop for an uncle? Because I want to go to Rome. I want to go to midnight mass with the Pope at Christmas. And I've, I've been busy in the past few years on Christmas, <laughs> but soon I won't be. And, you know, if you want to call in a favor, I, yeah, I'm willing, okay? So there's four ways we order time, and then three ways that we order space, right? So that you live in space and time. The church here orders these things, and so, you know, fasting is the way our bodies are ordered. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And then tithing orders your work. So how do you get control of your work, right? How do you control of your attitude toward money? By tithing. And then also, um, the Eucharist orders our community. And so regular, I've given you these great texts from Henry Nouwen about being a Eucharistic community, a, a community that's in thanksgiving, a community that lives in joy, a community that lives in security, that doesn't have to always battle um, fears and uh, instabilities, the great joy of how the Lord puts our life together. And we do these things as a discipline, and then life works out. And so this carries over then from last week. You know, doubtless you will say to me, as Jesus said, I'm free, which is exactly right. You are free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's the most beautiful text for freedom, which means you get to make some very, very good choices. So I will say to you, make good choices, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. So you are free. You're not free to do anything you want because the Ten Commandments still stand. And you're not free to do nothing because, for example, you're not free to, you know, slothfully lie around and not go to work. You're not free to be a glutton. You're not free to be a miser. You're not free to sin, right? You're free to live in the image of Christ. For freedom Christ has set us free. He shows us what freedom is, love, which fulfills the Ten Commandments, a single word that is both law and gospel, love. So Christ sets us free to love, and we figure out then individually in our own space and time how we can be most loving, and that gives some flexibility, but also it does not give us the possibility to do anything or nothing. And the church here is designed so that we again and again practice. We need to be reminded. So, you know, I, I get this out and I tune it up a little bit and I'm thinking, ah, do they remember this? And, you know, do you think about it? But part of the reason, and I mentioned it last week, is that I think... Um, you know, in years past, I felt like I've had to, and I'm talking about, you know, 10 years past, I felt like I've had to in some way justify fasting to you. Because, you know, the Catholics do it, so it has to be wrong. So, um, you know, of course, I then have to explain it to Lutherans. Why, instead of just going right back to the text where Joel says, you know, blow the trumpet, let's have a fast. Well, here, why should you fast? It's good for you. The same reason you should tithe, the same reason you should come to church, the same reason you should live, it's good for you. Because you've got things that in you, inside you that need to be you know, tamped down and buckled up and straightened out. And so last week I tried to suggest to you that you should begin to think about how you might fast. At least begin to. Uh, and kind of the gentle admonition was not too much, not too little. You should pick something that is you can do and then pick something that won't overwhelm you and make you feel like a failure for 40 days. And of course, you know, Lent is 40 days. The Sundays don't count uh, in the number. They count, of course, because you're at the Eucharist. But as, the, as Jesus said, you know, you can't, you can't fast when the bridegroom is here. 
And when the bridegroom comes to the altar, Sundays are free days. Okay? So it's really 46 days, but if you take the Sundays away, it's 40. And of course, 40 is the great number of all kinds of things, like Noah in the ark and Jesus in the wilderness and 400 years in slavery and, 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 right? So you are going to live out over the next couple of weeks the history of the church, the salvation history of the church, this history that is yours. And so you're going to come on Easter Vigil and you're going to hear this story is your story. So you'll hear the creation story and you'll hear the Red Sea story and you'll hear the three men in the fiery furnace story. That story is your story. You just have to like bump and nudge in a little bit. There's not an awful lot of difference between three men in the fiery furnace and, you know, um, you know, somebody hitting your apartment building with a cruise missile in Ukraine. There's just not a lot of difference, right? So think it through and try to do some good and don't rebel against it. Let it have it, let it, let it all have its way with you and leaving takes practice, right? So even though you've seen this before, oh, and I guess one other thing I want to say to you is, um, you know, things change. So in the past, when we had to say, we can never fast because that's just showing off. Yeah, I'm going to work with that next week a little bit more because that's not what the text actually says. It's convenient dodge, but it's not what the text says. The text says um, when you fast, right? But I was wondering, and you can think about this, so I, I recommend this only as a strength. Primarily, for all the years I've talked about this, I've talked about your individual fasting. You choose, you do something, keep it to yourself. If, it's, if you struggle, come see a pastor and you're fine. Yeah, that's one way to do it. But I must say, biblically, it's very often a community fast. I don't have the bravery right now to say to the congregation, you all should pick something, right? Not have meat for 40 days. I don't have the bravery to say that to you. I think it would cause more consternation, perhaps, than it would be helpful. But I would suggest to you that perhaps you might find your own community this year. Now, just so you know, I'm not going to accountability partner, which is not Lutheran. And it's also, uh, you know, it's much more like a corporate term or a psychological term. You know, we don't have accountability partners because we have confession and absolution. If you need accountability, 515 at the altar any Wednesday this Lent, okay? <laughs> Jesus will be more than glad to hold you accountable. And then... Unlike your accountability partner, he will actually forgive it and let you go free as opposed to saying, you're an idiot again? <laughs> so uh, what, a community, what a community is good for is that you get the collective strength. Of course, some people are going to fail. Of course, I'm going to miss, you know. I'm actually calculating my own fast based on, frankly, my travel schedule and the people I'm going to be with, and I don't have to admit things to them. And how am I going to do that, Right. So I have a lot of things I have to go to in the next 40 days, and I don't want to have to keep explaining why I'm doing this or that, because that sort of ruins it then, right? However, um, you might find a person or find some persons whom you know and love and trust, and you might say to yourselves, huh, what if we each rubbed Pastor Bruzek's feet with lotion every day of Lent? <laughs> I'm just giving you some outside examples, right? <laughs> It's in the Bible, Monday, Thursday, read it. Okay, so, um, you know, but if, let's say you gathered some people that you knew, and uh, you don't have to tell anybody else, but maybe, you know, 
maybe it would be good for you not to like say, did you fail? I didn't fail. Did you fail? No, like pray for me. I'll pray for you. Uh, check in, how's it going? You know, what kind of struggles are you facing? It, it actually might be good for you. At some point, you know, at some point it might be good for the whole congregation to, you know, rent their garments and throw ashes in the air and humble themselves, go face down on the ground and, and commit to a particular thing. I'm, to be real honest, you see this uh, in the churches of Ukraine. I read the letter that the bishop sent to a priest Holy cow. So you kind of go, and, and our friends too, I mean, John Crow is scrambling right now too. We're trying to get all our money for the year sent to the Russians before the system goes off swift, right? So we can get the money there. Uh, so John's, you know, doing, doing magical things to get everything there. You know, has to get there, get cash, get transferred, get out of an ATM and get into their pockets before your thing shut down. Otherwise, those pastors have nothing to eat for the rest of the year, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of going on. So, you know, think about it in terms of that, that kind of with your prayers, fabulous things happen. So, with that said, you know, I'll give you just kind of this basic review. It's far more than I can do, and that's okay, because if you're interested, you can, you can sort of keep going. But at the most basic thing, so this is just point number one, you're a weirdo if you don't fast, okay? Because all the cool kids are doing it. I mean, look at it, right here it is. Moses, Elijah, David, Daniel, Jesus, Paul. And Jesus presumes you will too. Listen on Wednesday to the gospel. When you fast, when you pray, when you tithe, presumes you're doing all those things. This is a tune-up for stuff you're already doing. This is part of your regular thing. So to kind of say, hey, we don't know anything about this or we never do that or that's illicit or we're Lutherans, hey, not for us. Yeah, I mean, you kind of go, oh. when Jesus asks you to do something, you should just do it, right? Don't make Jesus think ill of you. So you know, the first thing is all the cool kids in Scripture are doing it, right? They just are. And you can poke around and see. And to be willing to fast, you have to understand that this is a point to as a gift. Now, if you remember from years past, one of the primary points I've tried to make for you is this is not a trade, this is not an exchange, and this is not you pushing Jesus around. So I'm going to be a really good boy this Lent, and then I'm going to get what I want for Easter. Yeah, that's not it. In fact, like everything else in the scriptures, it works exactly the opposite Jesus comes to you. Jesus embraces you. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives everything. Jesus says, ooh, original sin. That's going to be a tough go. Here's a couple of options. I could kill you right now. Or if you want to stick around, then we're going to have to work at, you know, kind of keeping your impulses trained because, ah, that Adam, how he got the best of you. And so uh, for you who are nervous and Lutheran right at the bottom of the page, there's something about fasting from the Augsburg Confession. Couldn't do better than that, right? So we, um, we fast because, I'm turning the page, we fast because God loves us, not because we love God. God loves us, so we fast. And God knows that fasting will change us and help us, in the most basic sense, pay attention you know, what does a fast do to you? It changes your view of time and space. 
right? If suddenly you're not eating what you were eating, or suddenly you're not swearing when you were swearing, or suddenly you've added another hours, another hour, I mean this in a way. So let's say you pray morning and evening, now you pray at noon as well. When you do this, you've disrupted your own rhythm. And when you disrupt your rhythm, you say, hmm, why did I do that? And the answer is, because I want order in my life. I remember that diablos means scatterer. Devil means scatterer. I remember that Satan means liar. And I know that lies and, 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 and brokenness, lies and scattering, um, are the way of a chaotic life. So the Catholic Church does a very good job of talking about sin as being disordered. And then holiness is to be reordered. And so what we're trying to do with this is wake ourselves up to take a relatively short period of time, 40 days, and create a new habit in holiness. It doesn't make you a better person in terms of Jesus loves you more or you're more forgiven or you're earning your forgiveness or doing a deal. Do not think that way. Do not, do not. It doesn't belong to justification. Your fasting belongs to sanctification. Justification is... Um, what Jesus does, sanctification is what you do by the power of the Holy Spirit at the direction of Jesus, which pleases his heavenly Father. So you're not earning anything. You're not paying Jesus off. You're not pushing him around. You're rejoicing in the gift that he gives. Your life's been a mess. Let me help you clean that up. That's how Jesus talks. And in some ways, um, that's what fasting is meant to do. And it does that because it engages your whole person. This is point three. I don't really need to tell you this probably because you're all in touch with kind of the latest this and that, but you understand that how you think and how you feel, you know, and how you move, body, soul, and spirit, body, mind, soul, spirit, however you want, however many parts you want to cut yourself up into, um, those are all connected. And you know this, if you're an athlete, for example, you know that even on days when you aren't thinking clearly or aren't feeling wonderful, you know, sometimes a good run shakes you out of it, right? On the other hand, um, it works, works the other way too. People who've run a marathon, if you talk to how they, it's like when everything hurts, you know what's most important is to intellectually keep going, to stay focused. So we're connected and these things try to um, bring everything together. So your whole, it's the reason we kneel for prayers, for example. Because if your brain isn't paying attention, your knees are paying attention. And some days your brain will catch up to your knees. Some days your knees will catch up to your brain, right? So if you haven't been to church or if you were in church this morning, think how many times you were distracted today. And I don't mean by, you know, if you began to think about your kindergarten teacher praying for you, and then remembered all the people who rejoice, and you remember your parents and your aunts and uncles and all the joy that you've had. If the sermon takes you there, God bless you, my child. Because that was the point. And when you come back, we're still there. But if you're suddenly thinking about, yeah, I got, you know, my kid has T-ball at one o'clock, and then you know, we have to drive up farther north and come back, and then, you know, that's where you're like, ah, oh, that's not so good. But you know what will shake you out of that? Kneeling or the bells, or incense, or singing, or hearing other people sing, because it's all connected. 
Jesus wants all of you back. That's the reason there's a bodily resurrection, right? The reason you're not just a spirit floating up there is Jesus created you body and soul, and he's going to redeem you body and soul, and he's going to resurrect you body and soul. And so while you're here, take care of yourself body and soul. This isn't, you know this, as soon as I say it, I feel kind of dumb even saying it to you. You, you know all this stuff, but it's in the doing. The way is made by walking, right? The old line from the Camino. The way is made by walking. Believing takes practice. Action matters. So, um, point four for us fasting is a response. So you're not pushing Jesus around, right? So God has acted graciously toward us. He's pulled you here today. He's given you his body and blood. He's listened to your prayers. He cares about you desperately. Uh, He just loves you more than you can imagine. Chrysostom, God loves us more than we love ourselves. Right? And your response to that is, I love you back. So, and I think you're pretty clean on this, that we're not making a deal. We're not pushing God around. That's kind of basic Lutheran stuff. And that's the beauty of, of Lutheranism. So you're not trying to manipulate God or push him around. Well, uh, and you may not even get what you want. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. It's like when you pray. You know, Bernard of Clairvaux. You'll get what you ask or something better. On the other side, too, is how much the devil meddles with your prayer life and tries to convince you that your prayers don't matter. This is completely devilish to say, I prayed and I didn't get what I want, so God doesn't love me. I prayed and I didn't get what I want, so God doesn't care. That's pure satanic talk. I prayed and God listened and all is well. I fasted and God watched and all is well. That's it. It's not push and pull. God makes the first move. We respond. God loves him. God loves us. We love him back. And the chips fall where they may. Sometimes you just do some things and then it works out. You remember if you came through the new members that long ago, I gave you this thing. It's still a beautiful thing about you know, this Orthodox priest who goes to Union Seminary and gives a lecture and then about the creed and you know, one of the kids raises his hand and says, what if I can't believe? Uh, what do I do if I can't believe? And the priest is kind of mystified. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, what do you mean? If, what, what, what do I do if I can't believe? The priest is like, I don't actually understand what you're saying. He said, well, you know, like the virgin birth, what, what can I do if I don't believe? If I don't believe in the creed, how can I with any integrity say what I don't believe? And the old guy says, it's not your creed, young man. Then it was so great, he goes, what are you, 21, 22? Relax. Just keep saying it. It'll come to you. Right? <laughs> just, just, you know, just, here's the thing. Just fast for 10 years and then meet me back here and we'll talk over what it's done to you, okay? You know, don't like think about it, you know, between 1 and 115 today and say that couldn't possibly help me. I just like, you know, this has been around for 4,000 years. It's worked for everybody else. How is it that you could possibly be different, right? So, um, you know, off we go. Not because we're going to push things around, but under number six, you know, why do it? This is extraordinarily important. And I think, I think you do need to look at this point. 
Fasting puts us in tune with what God is doing. You know how this is when you don't get enough sleep and you're a little more on edge. Or you're hungry and everything kind of rings a little bit more sharply. Right? We pay attention. But it, we pay kind of religious attention, holy attention. It puts us in tune with what God is doing. You can ask yourself, what is it that God is up to? You don't have to look around. You can come to church the next week and we'll tell you what God is up to. It'll be there in the texts. You know, if you go to confession, what's God up to? The pastor will say to you, this is what he's up to. He's forgiven your sins and, you know, stop hitting your thumb with a, with a hammer because that'll be better for you too, okay? So it gets you in tune with what God is doing, right? Just look at kind of the square points there. Fasting helps us see things from God's point of view. The best thing I've learned in the last month was... Um, there's a quote I actually didn't give you that I prepared for you. Now I regret it a bit, but it was from one of the fathers who said, um, you think you should love your enemies because Jesus tells you to love your enemies. He says, that's not it at all. You should just love your enemies. And the difference between loving your enemies because Jesus tells you, that's completely under the law. I'll do what I'm told because, you know, I have to do what I'm told as opposed to, it's best for me to love my enemies. The difference between those two, which is pure gospel, the difference between those two things is night and day. The reason you're fasting is to try to see things from God's perspective. You're trying to see what God is doing in the world. You're trying to do what's good for you, right? And you're trying to avoid the things that would ruin it. You all know this at dinner, on a date, meeting new people, at church. There are things you can do that will absolutely ruin it, right? So, I mean, part of the reason you're doing this is so you don't ruin Lent. So you don't squander opportunities. The worst wounds are self-inflicted wounds, the things that need not be, right? So you see things from God's perspective, and you, um, you're confident that it'll be good for you. And you take advantage of what's good and you avoid what's evil. You don't ruin the day. You're not going to get another Lent for a year. This is it. We're all doing this together. 40 days. You get one shot at this and then we're done for the year. It's not going to come back in October if you miss it now. It's not. This is it. So pay attention, right? And then um, the Lord will sort it out. Now, very quickly, and I think because many of you know this, but I'll be, I can say it quickly, and if you need more, you can read this. Um, you know, there's this difference between, um, turning the page, fasting and abstaining. If you fast, it basically means not eating. An absolute fast is not eating or drinking. I'm going to say in a moment, be really careful, but I'm going to say that right now, be really careful. There's a difference between fasting, uh, which not so many of us do, um, and abstaining. Abstaining is what we normally think about fasting, where I won't eat meat on Fridays or Wednesdays and Fridays, or I won't have any sugar for 40 days, or alcohol goes away. That's just abstaining, which is completely fine, too. It's a discipline, and it's completely fine. But just kind of know what you're doing and know how hard you can push yourself. Um, I'm pushing ahead to... Um, I'm at point number eight, and I've kind of said this already. Uh, fasting is a, 
response to the sacred. So, you know, we have these beautiful sacred moments in our life when people are married, when someone is baptized. I mean, last week was, you know, kind of out of the park, fabulous, thanks to all of you. Uh, it was just so, it was so great. I mean, thank you. It was so, so wonderful, right, for everybody who was, who was there. We have these fabulous sacred moments where, even this morning, you kind of go, how can, it, how can it get better than this, right? So, and those bring us great joy, and we're very, very grateful for them. And Jesus himself said, you know, you can't fast while the bridegroom is here. But there are also these days which are grievous. You know, I mean, just think about the world so unnecessarily at war now. I mean, the world is stupid most of the time. But then sometimes it's really stupid. And then sometimes, you know, innocents are killed. And you sort of go, where am I living? Like, how does this happen? And of course, then the scripture is more true than ever, which is we never make ourselves better. We never really understand. We always lose our memories. And because we lose our memories, we lose our minds. And then other people don't matter to us. And if we kill them or don't kill them, what is it, you know? You saw the... I'm sure the video of the tank where it swerved out of the way and drove over that car and crushed that old man in his car for no good reason. Because you could just kill him. So, I mean, he didn't die, fortunately, but you could just kill him, so you did. How do you think about that? Well, we have, there's much to be repenting of. And we, frankly, don't have to look at other people. I mean, we could look at ourselves. The last few years in America has been, in many ways, a disaster in terms of the human toll of how we have treated each other. So, you know, we we didn't do well. We could do better. So there's much to repent of. There's much joy in the world. There's things to rejoice in. There's much to repent of. And frankly, if you can't bring anything to mind, I can help you, okay? Come on by. And uh, I'll go see Kirby. She'll help me. So don't feel compelled to make an appointment in that direction. You're you're good at it. (laughs) Play to your strength. So anyway... um, you know, some practicalities at point number 11. And this is what I, you know, if I've convinced you in any way that you should do this, now my next warning is be careful and be wise, okay? Uh, just be extraordinarily careful. For some of you, you know, this isn't your deal, especially in terms of giving up food or something like that. For some of you, um, because of your physical condition, mental condition, the drugs you take, your age, you know, and even in the church, right? After 65, you're free of many fasts, right? You're just, you're outside canon law. You just, it just doesn't apply to you. So let me start by saying for many of you, uh, giving up food or something like that or going for a long period without food and drink, it doesn't apply to you. That doesn't mean you can't um, light a candle and say an extra 10 minutes of prayers for me at noon. I'll take it. Right, there are some other things you can do. So it's just not about, it's not only about food. It's about many, many things. So my first thing to you is, please, please be wise, be careful. So number 12, make it manageable. And this is for a couple of reasons. Unless you have experience, you'll ruin yourself. You know, you'll be given a big presentation. You haven't eaten for 24 hours and you'll collapse in the middle of it. You, get, you, don't, just, you don't get any commission on that. Right? There's, nobody's going to buy anything from you if you like go face down. You're just not going to, okay? So um, 
you know, you have to be careful with those sorts of things. If you haven't, if you haven't done it before, you pick something manageable so you don't wreck yourself. And also, it, this isn't meant to make you fail. It's meant to pinch, but it's not meant to destroy. It's meant to help. It's not meant to, and, and in some ways, humiliate in some ways, but in the proper sense of the term, which is to remember that we're not self-sufficient. That sort of humiliation, that we're dependent on God, that we're not self-sufficient, we're not independent. But just be, ex- please, extraordinarily careful. And then try to pick something that you can actually do. Right? If you go to one meal a day, or as some of you Lutherans will remember, there's a long history in the church where you just fast with beer. You know this, right? <laughs> I mean, I know this will probably be the most popular one. You know, they, they brew this, you know, thick, dark, vitamin-packed beer. Do you know when we lived in England, they would give women in the maternity ward after birth, they'd give them a Guinness because it had so much good stuff in it, right? I don't know, I can't vouch for the health service. I just know that this happened. Uh, you know, but they, you know, these monks would brew this beer. So you'd basically go on a liquid diet, and frankly, after a couple of pops, nobody cared. Happy Lent, right? So you got to know what you're doing, okay? Ease into it, and then ease out of it. You know, the worst thing you can do is have a difficult fast over, and then go for a huge Easter, you know, huge Easter lunch. You'll you, you'll ruin yourself. So. Bit by bit, extraordinarily carefully, only if it's meant for you, if you choose food as one of the things that you do, right? And then I just put this note in for your parents. Don't force your kids to do it. They've they got enough reasons not to like me. Don't give them another one, okay? <laughs> I can do this. I can make your kids not like me all by myself. I don't need any help from you, right? So you're responsible for yourself. Just be careful, right? Just be careful with your... Give your kids. Make it ease into it. Make it manageable. Explain the reason for it. Try to understand it. When somebody moans, you say, just like when you moan, ah, this is because, you know, my sin sent Jesus to the cross. This is because God loves me. And um, there's a sadness in that on Golgotha and a happiness in Easter. And we're moving toward that happiness. The way is made by walking. Thirteen, what could possibly go wrong? Just about everything. (laughs) So I've given you, in case you're not screwed up enough, I have gone through my own head and given you a range of things that could go wrong here, right? From pride to legalism to hypocrisy to judging other. We're so much better than those other people who didn't come to Bible study and won't fast. He just kind of, yeah, that's not it. That is what is, by the way, forbidden in Matthew 6. When you say your prayers, don't stand on a street corner. When you're fast, don't scrunch your face up, right? When you give your gifts, you know, don't make a flourish out of it. Okay, right? And now 14. Hey, I know it's hard for you to believe, but this could actually work. You could actually say to yourself, Jesus really loves me, and because Jesus really loves me, I'm going to show some discipline in my life. And that discipline will make me a better person, just like discipline does in every other aspect. When I live within my means, when I exercise, when I eat properly, when I love my enemies, when, 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 when I say my prayers, when I read the scriptures. Imagine if this might work. Imagine if we all fasted, each at our own level, according to our own ability and our own circumstance. But imagine if we all did it together 
And imagine if we even, like, got a little help from our friends, quietly, humbly, but, you know, it's good to have other people with you. You know, imagine if we actually did it, and imagine if it actually worked. And, uh, and if, imagine if God actually said, huh, that, that's really quite something there in Wheaton. That's, that's, really, that's really fabulous. I love them so much. And I will tell you, you know, listen to the text on Wednesday, and your reward, I know this rubs you Lutherans the wrong way, will be great in heaven. That God actually rewards good behavior. Not that you earn your salvation, but that God is happy and he throws the floodgates open and he soaks the landscape with wonderful, wonderful things. And some of that drips down on you right now. It's really, really good. And sometimes just knowing that you did the right thing is enough. So maybe think about that. So it helps you remember and it gives you a new rhythm to life. And frankly, you know, justice is a little more, you know, the next page about justice is a little more, you know, compelling today, especially as you pray for our Russian friends. You should pray for them. They're going to suffer. Our Russian friends are going to have to make a choice of not speaking and that will be extraordinarily hard in their consciences and speaking and the government will come to sweep them up. That's their choice today in church on Sunday. That's going to be very hard for the bishop and for his pastors. Um, so, you know, part of this is about helping them um, see their way. And then if you just turn the page, uh, you know, there's a bit about tithing here. We'll do that and, and um, repentance and forgiveness. You can sort of read through all these things, the ways that can help you. But among them is that the demons flee you. Uh, more and more, you know, I realize this as I, as I bless children. I think about this when the, when the bells go off. I think about how the, the, how the, how the demons hate that tone, which signals the body and blood of Jesus are present, which is completely repulsive to what's evil. When the incense goes up, I think about how the demons, who are marked by putrid smells, hate the smell of that, right? When people ask, you know, why incense? The answer is Jesus likes it. Demons hate it. It's It's simple, Right? Why bells? Jesus likes it. Demons hate it. Why you? Why fasting? Jesus likes it. Demons hate it. That's enough. But all this other stuff kind of pours out. So give it a good think. Uh, start on Wednesday. You know, call me between now and then or text me if you need some help. Do it. You know, I'm just kind of telling you, um, probably the way I tell my kids to do stuff, you should do this. You should do stuff, Right? You should do it, and it's good for you. And if you need some help, I'll help you. And, you know, humbly find a friend or two, because that would be good for you. And, you know, then let's see what the Lord will do, right? This is Luther. You know, they say, hey, you started Reformation. He's like, eh, I didn't really do that much. I just preached the gospel and said my prayers, and I drank beer with my good friends in Wittenberg, and then the Holy Spirit got busy. This is beautiful, right? Or he would say, he'd pray, and then he'd say, now let's see what the Lord will do. You know what? Let's fast, and then let's see what the Lord will do. So anyway, I push you toward that. We've got to go to church. If you haven't been yet, it's fabulous. Choir singing again, right? Choir singing again? You choir people, you sing it again? It's going to be great. All right, here we go. We've got to go. They're going to start at 11 without us. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks, friends. Here we go.